and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Oh, man. I'm doing I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing well, rather, to be grammatically correct. Mm-hmm. I had a, a rough day at work, but I don't want to be one of those guys who lets his uh, day job get him down. And not rough because I, like, fucked up or anything. Right. Just because everyone else is annoying. Oh, good. Every, every single person I work with. No, that's not true. I, there might be some people I work with who listen to this. I well, there's the people that, that, like, screw things up, and then there's the people that don't speak out. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I like to think that they're sort of accomplices. Oh, I might be the latter, actually. Oh, okay. Um, so, anyway, but that besides that, I had uh, um, uh, a lovely three-day weekend, uh, spent a couple of those days up in in a uh, wine country that would be the Santa Barbara Salvang Los Olivos Bulton Santa mm-hmm. Inez wine country uh Na- si- si- more places sideways country is what Got it, it is yeah. which they uh they're not like done milking that up there <laughs> i mean it's not crazy that, movie, that movie's 9 years old now i know and so like i know but i mean it's not like crazy like there's sideways stuff everywhere yeah. but you can't go a day without it being without seeing some reference to it or someone or or like a, a wine i don't know there's got to be a name for the person who pours the wine that you taste oh i'm um, sure there is like like barista but wine wine yeah. barista um one of them will mention sideways it always happens you know okay that reminds me this is not uh quite to to that extent it's a slightly different thing but when jen and i went to salem massachusetts um and we're just kind of visiting for the day um you know they've got all kinds of like witch related things you know in which they talk about this dark period in our history incidentally here's a lot of really sensationalistic books about it and uh, and movies that have nothing to do specifically with Salem, Massachusetts uh-huh. or the Salem Witch Trials, but they have to do with witches in general, like the Blair Witch Project and Hocus Pocus. And it's just like, so, okay, you talk about this being a horrible tragedy, which it is, or, you know, it was, <laughs> uh, but you're still going to make your money off of anything that has the word witch in it. I'm right. sure witchy woman is playing over the loudspeaker at some point. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you mean witch a woman? That's the one. Okay. That's the one. Um but yeah, it always just fascinated me, just the way these places uh, milk stuff. I haven't been back to my hometown of Taft, California. I think they've just now gotten over that Best of Times movie with <laughs> Robin Williams and Kurt Russell. Well, let me ask you, before we move on to mention our sponsor this week, um, how is your Sundance going so far? It's going great. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, um, some controversy. Sure, sure. There's, uh, But you know what? There's some laughs as well. Uh-huh. Sometimes one oh. right after another. And the weather. The Can weather. Believe it. It's so cold. Yeah. yeah. Colder than one would assume, I think, I so. think right? I think so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, neither of us is at Sundance. Um, and that's not, I'm not bitter about it. It's not like they told us we couldn't go. Right. It was, uh, you know, as listeners know, finances of late have not been ideal uh at least in the backs uh uh realm of things and we yeah we had planned this was going to be our year we finally went to sundance uh, you know at this time last year we were planning yeah. on it and this time last year it really looked like it could, it could happen and yeah. then the last half of 2012 happened to me financially and it's mm-hmm. just not going to happen well let me ask you this okay i know we've got the podcast and so you know you feel a certain degree of responsibility to be at sundance if we didn't have this would you want to go it sounds awful i think i'd want to go more really yeah Boy, oh boy. If I could just go and watch movies and not have to, like, write about them or, or 
or but this to, to this, I, this this scene the scene there like I hate to use a word like that but like the scene there is just so like. I would just feel so self-conscious all the time that I wasn't dressed well enough and that, like, my parka or, you know, heavy coat didn't cost, like, $300 and stuff think, like that. Well, I mean, that's that's not entirely unreasonable for a parka. For a good parka. Fair enough. It's going to last you a while. I got one the other day for 25 bucks. At a thrift store? No, at, uh, <laughs> at a Macy's. It was on sale. Cool. That's cool. So. I don't oh. know. I'm, I'm not above spending... Uh, a fair amount of money on clothing. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I also am not a guy who's going to buy something for like the season and throw it away. Like when I buy a piece of clothing, I expect oh, you it to last to me it. for years. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I mentioned uh, Macy's. At that Macy's, or was it a Sears? I believe it was a Macy's, uh, where <laughs> this was in Missouri. And so uh, we, my mom, Jen, and myself were walking around shopping for various things. And uh, I was, uh, I hate to use this term, but man, sometimes it's the only word that applies. Uh, I was sort of people watching a little bit, uh-huh. and I overheard, it's one of your favorite phrases, David. I overheard uh, a mom. Play, play it like it lays? N- no, don't don't guess. I'll tell you what oh, it is. Okay. That's one of my favorite phrases, though. Play it like it lays. I actually didn't know that. But uh, no, this uh, woman was talking to her, uh, I believe her young son mm-hmm. who was kind of falling behind like she was walking quickly and he uh-huh. was just kind of dawdling and I, uh, I, I don't know what you're going to say but I can't wait yeah and she's like hurry up or I'll smack you right here in front of God and everybody <laughs> <laughs> and I know you like that one in front of yeah. God and everybody right yeah that's a good one yeah oh that's funny <laughs> oh man and the first and I can't believe it took me so long to remember to tell you that because the first thing I thought was like oh David would have loved that <laughs> He just would have burst out laughing. Saying things threateningly is very funny to me. I remember one time uh, I was going to go, like the next day I was going to go to the dry cleaner to drop something off. And my girlfriend was like, um, oh, would you mind um, dropping off my coat as well? And I said, because she was headed down to her car, I said, sure, just throw it in the back of my car. And she said under her breath, I'll throw it in your face. <laughs> yeah, and then my, my grandpa, who is who was like a, a sweet old guy, but had kind of a Quint from Jaws demeanor to him, uh-huh. he often would threaten his grandkids, like, not not literally threaten, but just like if we were like acting up, he'd be like, he'd be like you, he goes, you guys simmer down. He would say simmer down. Uh-huh. He goes, you guys simmer down or I'll skin you alive. <laughs> Uh, okay. Good. Good times. All right. Also, uh, another reason I am in a good mood. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Things uh, work stunk today. We're not at Sundance. Uh, I don't have a, a whole lot of money. I feel mm. I feel bad saying that I'm broke when I spent the weekend in wine country, but I, it was a thrifty weekend in wine country. Right. Anyway, um, one thing I am glad about right now is that um, we're recording this on a Tuesday, the twenty uh, second of mm-hmm. January. Yeah. As of three days ago, Saturday, the NHL is back. Whew. Hockey is back. Finally, and the Blues are two and zero, uh, and you know, I, I'm feeling I'm feeling good about the Blues this year. I don't want to, you know. There's been some pretty lofty predictions from the uh, uh, hockey cognoscenti, and I don't want to uh, tempt fate by going along with that. But I'm feeling I'm feeling good this year. I'm feeling good about the Blues. But that brings me to another thing. Okay. I'm sure you don't listen because you don't follow hockey, but there's a podcast. Do you mean right now? I don't listen? <laughs> yes. You're correct. But there's a podcast that I love um, called The Puck Podcast. It's two guys who love hockey, and they are SoCal-based. One of them's a Kings fan, one of them's a Ducks fan. Okay. So it's an extra, like, they covered the whole league, but it's great to 
not have Southern California hockey be completely ignored like it is in a lot of the yes. uh, hockey uh, media. But you should give them a listen once, or at least listen to the beginning of the show, because they rival us for the uh, in terms of the ability to bullshit for 20 minutes before they get to the to the point of the episode. All right, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> and I, I I really like that about those. If guys. they're if they're SoCal based, then we should uh, we should have them on. We should have these podcasts together. But we talk about neither hockey nor film, and uh, just uh, talk about whatever going on in our in our lives. They did a series, not this current off season, but the previous off, off season. It was an ab- abortive series because it ended up being so painful for them. Okay, where they recorded they like recorded episodes this was during the off season there was no real news while they were watching a hockey really like a intentionally bad hockey related movie and they'd watch like 20 minutes and then come on and give their thoughts you know <laughs> um uh and so they watched the direct-to-video slap shot 2 with Stephen baldwin yes okay with, well it's it's a baldwin it sounds right it's one Steve, of them yeah Stephen sounds right and then they watched the original mighty ducks um, and that was a we could we could have them on to talk about hockey bad hockey movies. That sounds fine. I've seen Mystery Alaska. That's not terrible. No, and I think hockey people like that movie too. I kind of like that movie. I mean, it's it's corny. It's, it's really corny. It's actually. corny as hell. And, and it's, but so is Miracle. Um, I guess so. But yeah. Mir- Miracle is better, I think, at just the the hockey scenes. Mm-hmm. I, I think just like with uh, what was his name, Gavin, the guy who made Miracle also made Warrior. And oh yeah, okay. Warrior was a movie that I didn't care for, but uh, the actual scenes of like MMA fighting were really well done and exciting. Um, and I, I kind of wanted the movie to sort of just be that. Yeah, I remember Mystery Alaska being merely adequate. Here's a weird thing that I sometimes forget: Russell Crowe was in uh, Mystery Alaska. Did I say Miracle just now? I meant Mystery Alaska. I'm sorry. You said Mystery Alaska. I was okay, talking okay. about, the, but the guy who directed Warrior directed Miracle. Right, right. Not Mystery Alaska. Yeah, I'm going back to that. Because Mr. now Alaska I'm thinking was, I believe, about it. Directed by Jay Roach. Oh, that's I, yes, I believe it was. And Mike Myers has a cameo as the like uh, commentator. Yeah, he sure does. That's a weird. That's a weird movie. <laughs> it feels like it shouldn't exist. And thus, I'm going to assume it was made in 1999. I think it. I, <laughs> I think, think it, it was. was. Yeah. All right. But, uh, um, real quick, I want to tell you guys about this thing I just discovered. Mm. These professional quality earbuds at an affordable price. You don't say. Yeah, you head over to this place. Now get your pen and pen, uh, your pen and pad out, and write down tweakedaudio.com. You're not done yet. You think you're done after the .dot com mm. standard standard URL. Nine times out of ten, you're done after the .dot .dot com. Right. In this one, you're gonna go the extra mile because if you if you just go to that tweakedaudio.com, you'll get professional quality earbuds at an affordable price. Right. But if you keep going, you go the extra mile. You know, like you you're gonna in, be, you're gonna be rewarded. You give 110 percent when it comes to typing in that URL, and you go tweakedaudio.com/slash/pretension. Mm-hmm. Oh, the world that awaits you! You have no idea. It's the same professional quality earbuds uh, at a low price in a variety of styles and colors, with one third off and free shipping. Although, again, I think you get the free shipping either way. I need. I keep saying I want to confirm that, but I don't know. What are you trying to do to us here? Come on. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, definitely check them out. They're awesome. Uh, and supporting them does support this show. You can also just support this show by hitting the donate button. That's we don't true. mention that very often. Yeah, not um, anymore. Because uh, we get, you know what? Here's the thing. Uh, I love when people donate. We appreciate it a great deal. Uh, if you donate... $10 or more, uh, we'll send you the first 40 episodes. Whether um, you want them or not. Whether you want them or not, you're going to get them. If you don't want them, them you're going to have to email. Yeah. 
And then, <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, but and then Tyler might accidentally send them to you anyway because he's got a whole he's got a whole raft of shit to get through, and he doesn't need any of your lip. Yeah, kind of. It's just like <laughs> you'll you'll take it and like it. If you gave us money, then you at least need to know where we came from. But uh, but yeah, it it still astounds me. Uh, and yes, I do recognize that uh, people probably just want to they probably just want quality earbuds at a third off. I get it. But you know what? I bet there's some people out there who do that just to support us. And it's still going strong. We still get like weekly or bi-weekly reports saying this is how much money is coming in as a function of your tweaked audio uh, sponsorship. And it really does fascinate me how supportive people have been through that. Uh, and so uh, thank you, everybody, for, for doing that. But you know what? Here's the thing. We thank you. And yet you've already been thanked with those earbuds. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. All right, so before we get into the topic today, we wanted to do a quick, you know, we're seeing a lot of great lists uh, on the internet and from our um, colleagues. I was going to say competitors, but I could think of them as colleagues. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, at least publicly. Uh, Oh, absolutely. um, uh, Of, uh, you know, most anticipated movies of 2013. We're not going to do a whole list. We just wanted to do not even necessarily a top three, Mm -hmm. just three. But, of course, in Battleship Pretension style, it's not going to be three. I've got three point five plus one. I'm not looking forward to. Okay. And you've got. I didn't know four. you were going to do that. Otherwise, I would have done no, it. I too. told you you must not have been listening. You said three point five. I didn't. I forgot what the point five was. Uh, okay. So why don't you go first? Okay. The first one, and you know what? Uh, it's we'll see how it goes. It's a movie called Movie Forty Three. All right. I don't know if you've seen any trailers for it. I've seen one trailer. Okay. S- some of it looks funny. Some of it looks kind of whatever. But the, more than anything. I don't remember the last time there was like a sketch movie with stars. It's been a long, long time. And, yeah. they, and they're not... Since the days of Kentucky Fried Movie and exa- Amazon Women on the Moon. Exactly. Like, they, they're not really in fashion anymore. And so the fact that, that this is being put together with stars who look like they're having a pretty good time, uh, it, it could be terrible. Well, as we but know I from think the I just, Oceans trilogy... Stars having a good time is a recipe for a great, great movie. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. But you know what? Here's the thing. When you're in one, one basic sketch, it's going to be five minutes, then, you know, it's not... Uh, Cut loose. Yeah, you, foot loose. Uh-huh. And uh, as opposed to like, oh, I did this because I'm going to have fun with my friends in another country for three months. Like, right. that's a different type of fun. That's just us watching their vacation photos. This <laughs> is us watching them just ham it up and just uh, do the things that they feel like they're not able to do uh, the rest of the time. Um, or it could be terrible. My guess is it's going to be hit and miss, depending on the sketch, which is yeah. kind of how Kentucky Fried Movie was. Mostly hit. Yeah. Mostly hit which though. one has the better reputation, Kentucky Fried Movie or Amazon Women? Because I think I prefer Amazon Women. I think that has the better reputation. Okay. Although, yeah, I mean, I know that people like both of them, but I think more people speak fondly of uh, Amazon women. Okay. But um, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. But of course, it's it's cautious. Okay. Uh, on my first one, and again, these are in no particular order. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Alfonso Cuarón's Gravity. Okay. Uh, because I just like Alfonso Cuarón, and I like his um, uh, as after Children of Men, I really like his approach. To science fiction, mm-hmm. you know that um, you know Children of Men seems like you know, except for the I guess you would call it the I don't know the gimmick maybe or just the MacGuffin of the the idea that women aren't giving birth anymore. Other than that, it feels like a very believable version of our future. Yeah, 
you know um, it's the kind of dystopian you feel like oh oh geez i bet that's what it is <laughs> yeah yeah and so i'm really looking forward to another science fiction film from alfonso Cuaron. okay all right is it my turn yes okay uh, i'm gonna go with the great gatsby uh directed by baz Luhrmann, and while i originally supposed to be a 2012 film yeah and so by pushing it back who knows what that means it might mean that they just thought oscar season was a bit crowded maybe they thought it wasn't an oscar type movie and so they they pushed it back to i believe march and uh i'm i love the book great gatsby i never saw the uh the film with uh, robert redford but i'm interested to see what baz Luhrmann could do with something that is lavish and and just i feel like he'll really be able to capture the spirit of the uh, of the roaring 20s it remains to be seen whether or not he will be interested in capturing the melancholy of the book i think by casting dicaprio's gatsby i think he might actually be going too far in that direction i always felt that uh, jude law would have made a better jay gatsby but that's mm. me um, but the movie also stars as um Daisy's husband. I, I it's been so long. I forget the characters' names. But uh, the great Jason Clark, who um, was great in uh, Zero Dark Thirty. He you was get, in Lawless this year. He was in you Trust give him, last year. You give him like one more scene in Zero Dark Thirty, and he could have been up for like an Oscar. Like he was. A, that was a wonderful performance. Yeah, and I I kind of feel like I have this uh, sort of like speaking of Zero Dark Thirty, how like when the Hurt Locker was a success i had this whole like i've been telling you guys Catherine bigelow is great you know i I was just talking about that the other day when we were on the 11 points countdown which Mm -hmm. will be uh february 4th i think oh yeah a week or so after you can watch us on returning making our triumphant return return to the web series 11 points countdown in about a week um with jason clark because i watched three seasons of brotherhood on showtime i was already i felt like i was already in the know about how awesome this guy was well and it's interesting because so much so much was made of jason isaacs on that show and and indeed he is very good but uh but yeah it really was i feel like jason clark was kind of the uh kind of the heart of the show yeah Yeah. (laughs) considering that the show is pretty heartless in general but uh but I, i liked him quite a bit but uh okay but yeah and so i'm excited for great gatsby but again who knows it could be it could wind up being kind of a not a bomb in in like a in a box office sense though it could be that as well it could be a big misfire you never know yeah and i'm that's kind of part of the reason i'm looking forward to it is it feels like it's a it's a risk and i kind of like that it could be a really ambitious misfire which i kind of respect yeah given how much i liked cloud atlas that's a big part of something that draws me to a movie i'm like oh this really could not work or could be awesome that's yeah. gonna be that's gonna get me in the door um my next one is the uh uh english language debut of director Chanwok park who did the who did the vengeance trilogy old boy sympathy for mr vengeance and lady vengeance as well as the movie thirst which got a lot of buzz when it came out but i feel like it's sort of fallen into sort of uh, it, like faded away yeah it's like his like uh, other like honorable mentions because the I think the Vengeance trilogy stands out to so many people, but yeah. Thirst is awesome. Thirst is a great movie, and his um, his first um, English language film is going to be called Stoker, uh, and it's a it's a period piece about a, 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 a like a woman and a daughter living with their uncle, and he's a creep or something. I don't really care what it's about. I don't tend to look that much into what stories are about. Uh, I tend to look at directors, and we'll get to that in my three point five. Um, but uh, I'd be interested enough just because it was Chenwick Park, but the daughter is played by one of my current favorite working young actors, uh, Mia Vashikovska. Ah, oh, yes, okay. Um, also in Lawless. A lot of good people in Lawless. Just a 
It's a waste of talent. You really got to go back and watch the proposition, man. Like as far as you know, right. John Hillcote is just a just a whiff. I think I like the road more than some people. Or I think I might yeah. be right in the camp of the road. <laughs> like okay. it was decent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I don't know if there are people who hate the road, or maybe people who read the book hate the yeah, road. Yeah, I think everyone. I, I liked it for the most part, but I think a lot of people like there is there is an image of like a dystopian future that I can believe, but um, but I think a lot of people were just disappointed. They wanted it to be more than than it was. They wanted mm-hmm. it to match the emotion of the book. But if you'd seen the proposition, you know that like he is not an emotional director. Like he is there. There's a coldness to him. I think. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay, so I, I actually picked four. I'm having a hard time. Well, you got to get your – We're doing. You, you can do all four of yours. Okay. All right. The I'm next doing my 3.5 plus my extra one. Okay. The next one. And, by the way, there's a lot of stuff I'm looking forward to, but I crossed out the ones that I thought I wouldn't have anything to say about uh, just yet. So I'm – okay. And all of these, by the way, I'm, like, very cautiously excited about, not even optimistic. But um, The Wolverine. Okay, so I didn't see Wolverine. I hear it was terrible. Uh-huh. I thought X-Men First Class was okay. Um, but it's directed by James Mangold, who did um, 310 to Yuma, and he did Walk the Line. Uh, and he's done other things that I thought w- were kind of only okay. But 310 to Yuma gets a lot of... That is a lot of clout with me. Well, uh, as I mentioned, every time his name comes up, you should see Heavy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so... So I'm excited that... Uh, because that is a... I think he has a good sense for action, and incidentally, you watch Walk the Line, you watch the uh, the concert sequences, and they're exciting, and he really gives you a you are there quality to it, uh, and so I think that could work well if you get a good script, and I don't remember who wrote The Wolverine, but if you get a good script, and you get Hugh Jackman, who seems to have really embraced this part and under and kind of understands it, uh, and I think it could be a good movie. And it's interesting. When I was a kid, Wolverine was like my favorite superhero. And then as the movies have come out and with each one that gets released, I like Wolverine less and less. I do feel like it's just like, why can't they just, they just reboot this thing? Um, <laughs> can I, tell you something? I never thought I'd be calling for a reboot, but man, but, oh man. Can I tell you something? What? I so don't pay attention to superhero movies. I have like a very, like I won't see a movie if I haven't seen all the ones in the, in the like franchise. Okay. Right? I never saw X-Men last stand. Okay, I the third did. one. Yeah, I went to an accepted, I accepted and went to a press screening of X Men First Class, which breaks my rule because I'm so oblivious. I thought it was a reboot. I had no idea huh. that it was. So when Rebecca Romaine Stamos shows up, I was like, "Oh, what am I doing here?" <laughs> I mean, I was kind of like that early on because I wasn't caring for the movie. Yeah, but um, that's how oblivious I am. I I did not know that was part of the the world of the films. It and now, does. So now, like the the obsessive compulsive part of me wants to watch X-Men last stand just and Wolverine. You would have yeah, to watch I, X-Men. Yeah, I would have to watch Wolverine, Wolverine too. God Oof. help you. You know what? If you watch if you watch it, I'll watch it with you. Okay. No reason you should suffer <laughs> alone. But uh so I'm I'm interested to see how it'll turn out. Again, it could just be a total mess. But I feel like James Mangold is a dependable enough director that I think he will not let it get away from him. It might not be great, but I don't think it will be as terrible as many people said the Wolverine, uh, just X-Men Origins Wolverine is. Okay. Now, I said we weren't ranking these, but this probably is my most anticipated movie of 2013. Okay. Uh, I've been in some way or another anticipating it since 2007. Okay. uh, Because it is the third collaboration of... Director Edgar Wright with actors Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. And this is The World's End. Hmm. Uh, I 
you know, they, they of course did Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz together, which right. are two of the best comedies of the past, uh, I'd say, of this century. Sure. Um, and The World's End, uh, where, you know, Shaun of the Dead was the zombie movie, Hot Fuzz was the action movie, this is their apocalypse movie. Yeah. Where it's a group of friends, including Martin Freeman, and I mean, he was in Shaun of the Dead, but uh, uh, he's got a... Yeah. Uh, uh, a larger role here. I'm a big fan of his work, um, The Hobbit Notwithstanding. Uh, and it's a group of friends um, reliving a pub crawl they did when they were younger men. And the the final pub they're going to is called The World's End. But, you know, coincidentally, yeah. the world happens to also be ending while they're doing this. And they become, uh, I guess, the humanity's last chance for survival is what I think the uh, <laughs> the press release uh Described That's, it. That sounds delightful. So I, I cannot, cannot wait for that. Edgar, you know, I remember a while ago, <clears throat> you asked me on the air, uh, you know, what, who are some directors whose work you anticipate? And I, at the time, I said, you know, kind of the standard, like, all right, a Tarantino, a Coen Brothers. Uh, I think at the time, I said, like, oh, David O. Russell, I, I always look forward to his stuff. And I think I, I neglected to say Edgar Wright. Uh, because he's somebody that at this point, like, he's, he's such a great comedy director, a pretty good action director as well, and he just. His films have such life to them. I've never been, I've certainly never been <clears throat> bored by anything that he has done. Um, at times, I think maybe, maybe he goes into overkill a little bit, but I think that's usually a choice that he makes. And so I'm, and I think it usually turns out well. Usually, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so I'm, I'm excited for, for that as well. Uh, and then now, David, you know I'm not a huge fan of. of me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll get you next time, guys. But, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of uh, The Hunger Games, the first film. Sure. I am looking forward to the second one, though. Um, Why is that? Because of Francis Lawrence. That's, I'm glad you said that. Because uh, I, I'm a fan of uh, I Am Legend. I think... Uh, have we talked about I Am Legend before? We must have. Many, many, many times. Okay. Because uh, I watched it again fairly recently. I've probably talked about it since yeah. I rewatched it. That ending is frustrating. It's not just the like. I find myself more frustrated about it every time I watch it because it's not just a good movie that goes bad. The first hour of I Am Legend is a great movie. It's a gr- yeah. It is fantastic. And then it's pretty much, I mean, it's it's not an immediate turn, but it's pretty much when, um, what's her name, Alice? I don't remember. But yeah, once, once other Braga, actual people show up, yeah. Yeah, which I guess that's a bit of a spoiler, but the movie's been out for a while Yeah, now. it's fine. Uh, yeah, it, it's really upsetting to me how how wrong that movie goes and when you know about the original story and you see what it could have been as opposed to it just going totally hollywood i mean i guess good good for them for killing the main character spoilers but like (laughs) you know which i guess could be seen as dark but it's like the most noble death ever and so it's okay but as opposed to that he's running around with machine guns and it's like i know it's will smith but this is not the character i've been watching for an hour Oh he, yeah, he's, he's not he's not an action hero. Like yeah, that. the guy. I have a lot of the same problem. Not quite. I'm not quite as angry about it. But with uh, Spielberg's War of the Worlds, how mm-hmm. I think Tom Cruise is actually really being good at being an everyman who is his his first and last concern concern is you know just keeping his family uh, safe and keeping them together. Mm-hmm. And then um, the steps that he ends up having to take turn him into an action he's like throwing grenades and shit or something like that yeah like he you know it's one of those weird action there's something about the sci-fi action hero where they suddenly they make leaps of logic that turn out to be totally right and they say it with total confidence and just like this is just a guy Uh how does he know this will work 
Um, but yeah, and so I, I really liked I Am Legend. I think I think Francis Lawrence did a great job with it, and so I'm I'm intrigued to see what he'll do with yeah. the second film. Now, I haven't read Catching Fire. Have you? I haven't. Jen has, but I haven't. Um, okay. Uh, now I want to talk about my 3.5. Okay. Because this is the one, I talked about how directors are what gets me interested in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's almost completely true. Um, and I will say, if Pacific Rim were directed by anyone but Guillermo del Toro, it would be... I wouldn't even, like... I'm not saying I would, like, be dreading it. I wouldn't even be thinking about it. Right. It's a movie that would be so far from my taste yeah, and I so saw, far off my radar. I saw Robot Jocks when I was a kid. You know, I don't <laughs> yeah. need to see it again. It is, this is so... I mean, it, you know, I, I don't mean to... I know I, a lot of my friends who are movie geeks are very much looking forward to this and very much into this kind of the Mech Warrior stuff or whatever it's called. Uh, and, you know, I'm happy for them. And that's why I say I don't have any disdain. It'd just it'd just be a movie that did, would do absolutely nothing for my interest. And the fact but that But because it's Guillermo del Toro, I'm curious. Yeah, he doesn't direct very so. often. Yeah. So the fact that this is the project that's like, all right, here, you know, he cracks his knuckles and goes to work. Uh-huh. Like, like what must be in this movie that this is what he wanted to do? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to talk about the movie that I think a lot of, I mean, this is where I am going to be disdainful because a lot of people are looking forward to this movie. And I think after Comic-Con, I kind of was a little bit too, um, and this will get us into our main topic, but I am not looking forward to Neil Blomkamp's Elysium. Okay. I think, um, yeah, it was it was I, all the it was the talk of Comic Con. One of the talks of Comic Con, and I think you know you tend to, and I I know even at the moment when I'm Comic Con uh, at Comic Con, I get sort of like wrapped up in people, other everyone being excited for a thing, and I'm like, yeah, at least it looks. It's got like I'll, I'll be like I, I I think I was like it looks like it could have some of the problems of District Nine, but it uh it it could be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I think about it, the more annoyed I am with the footage I saw at Comic Con, and um, just the—I mean, I'm sure people have seen District Nine as well, and it's not really a spoiler anyway. But like, how obsessed is this guy with people being like liquefied, like people just exploding into tiny little chunks? Like it happens countless times in district nine to the point where it is just deadening and it's yeah and that's a movie kind of like i am legend where i'm so annoyed by the last act uh although i think district nine actually does manage unlike i am legend managed to manages to come back to what made it good by the end i think so yeah uh but I, it's still not a movie i find myself wanting to rewatch. Uh, I, I i don't own it i i don't really want to rewatch it because i'm so frustrated by the big action set piece the big long extended action set piece that takes us i think away from the character um it makes him i it just it it seems that movie seems to go from being uh really humanistic to almost anti-humanistic pretty quickly and then it comes back but i I, i'd say for that reason and for the fact that the footage is odd. Comic Con showed at least two more people being liquefied. Just makes me think that uh, maybe this guy's just not for me. You know, and <laughs> and you and I, we we must be getting like we not weak, but I don't know. In our old age, I think we're we're not as hard hard edged as we used to be. Like there are, there are deaths like of characters that aren't even characters of extras in a movie, and if they die a certain way, I'm just like, oh come on! Like yeah. I it just I don't know. I wouldn't call that weak, soft. I guess we're getting a little soft, but and, not entirely because I think 
if a particularly brutal death from even a small character is uh like unsettles me and is supposed to yeah. like you and i have disagreed about the um german officer who gets his head beaten in in glorious bastards you didn't like that whereas i really did because I i'm liked, on the f- i'm on the fence about it now but I, yeah i like that tarantino took a moment and it didn't take long just took a moment to really humanize this nazi officer and then he got his head beat in triumphantly I'll, I'll, like all the other americans on screen are like laughing and clapping and cheering and right. it, it's it's kind of gut churning to me and i think intentionally so and so i can stomach it if i think it's used well oh absolutely but like the the and i'm sorry to use this as a as a derogatory term but the video game type violence of uh at the end of district nine which is a movie that i really do love up until that point and then i merely like it it just it's like something out of a whole other movie and just and i do one i'm sure i've said it on the show before there's something about when a character is, as you say, liquefied, blown apart, literally ceases to physically exist, uh-huh. that I find so horribly disturbing, and I don't know why. <laughs> um, it could be the the guy who takes too long to put the sticky bomb on the tank in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, and that's one that works because that it's one, supposed to be. It yeah. works, but man, it's like like that. It's disturbing no matter what. And that's a film that at least treats it as like, oh, that's that's awful. This is just like, yeah, badass. These guys who <laughs> probably have families. Okay, I know I'm asking. I'm at, I'm saying all the wrong things. I'm not supposed to be thinking this when watching the film. Although I feel like the film has sort of taught me to think that. Yeah, exactly. With, the, with, with what preceded it. Exactly. And so, um, but yeah, it's like these are guys that just. I understand they work for an evil company, but like they probably don't think it's that evil. They probably don't know how in-depth the uh, moral corruption is. Uh-huh. They just know that they know what their bosses have told them and they know that, oh, this guy's dangerous. Let's stop him. Oh, I'm no, I'm, I'm not a thing anymore. I'm not a noun. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm a, I'm a red mist. And like, and that's very disturbing to me. And the fact that like, we're all supposed to like high five when that happens yeah. over and over and over again. Doesn't work. Although, you know, uh, you know, the very recent, I won't give away any major plots was the very recent, the last stand, the Schwarzenegger okay. film also yeah. features a guy getting pretty well blown up okay. uh, in the middle of the street. And um, that the tone of that movie is like, they're not people at all anyway. So the whole point is that you're supposed to like enjoy the bloody violence. And that's okay with me. Yeah, it's like the end of, it's you know, about context. It, it took me a while to come around to like uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 and the... Uh, the Crazy 88. The Crazy 88. Yeah, yeah. And I, so, I have like, to watch it again. Yeah, but I remember just being like, this is just so... I didn't find it disturbing, but I was just like, I, I just don't know what I'm trying to think here. Like, these are... This is this is the kind of violence I don't think I enjoy. But then after a while, you come to realize, like, it's, it's of a very specific genre, and it treats it as such. Yeah. Uh, it's you, not quite as humanistic as I think the second film. Speaking of Tarantino, and again, we're going to tread lightly here so not to give away spoilers, but did you wonder what all those guys jobs are on calvin candy's ranch when it isn't shooting at jimmy fox yeah. like does he have are they armed guards it I doesn't mean, seem like he would have that but there's so many guys i mean it's it's it could be said that they're all you know they're ranch hands and slave drivers and everybody's armed uh-huh. and that's basically it yeah, although just, i'm the, all there right then yeah i'm of the opinion and i will stay as vague as possible after a certain point they don't have a job why are they still why are they still shooting? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So. Um and then anyway, back to Elysium, the story and the part the, you know, rather unsubtle metaphor that does actually interest me. I don't know if you know the 
setup of Elysium. I know nothing about it. Basically, the um, Earth, it's a future. Earth is, its environment is pretty uh, degraded. And the uh, the wealthiest people, let's say about 1% of them, uh, live up on a sort of man-made space planet thing called Elysium. And um, they can cure cancer. It's like a normal thing. Like they just like go in for a morning treatment to have their cancer cured if huh. it's, if it showed up, and then um, Matt Damon's character who works with the rest of the population about I guess ninety nine percent of them, uh, and has a workplace accident where he gets exposed to horrible radiation and he's gonna he's gonna die, and um, he needs he wants to find a way to get to Elysium which is legal, mm-hmm. so he agrees to uh, basically become like. Uh, basically become like a a thief like for uh to work with this this like criminal organization to pull a job and then his reward is he'll get to they'll get him to elysium to that get sounds interesting cure. yeah i like i just i'm just not big on Neil the, Blomkin, I think, yeah, because the execution the, in every sense of the word is just not <laughs> yeah. for you but that gets us to our topic so let's get into it shall we okay uh, this is something you wanted to talk about um after a couple movies you've seen recently yeah. um after having watching watched documentary queen of versailles but mm-hmm. also i think you did you finally watch arbitrage you know what i was gonna finish it today but i had so much work to do but okay. I'm, I'm about 40 minutes in do you like it so far i do i like it a lot okay um you what do you want to talk about the depictions of rich people in movies yeah or just movie like movies about the rich but also yes the depictions of of the rich and this might actually uh at some point we might kind of give give a reference an episode that is going to come sometime in the future but um okay yeah so i uh and i remember way back i mean this is what in the first 20 30 episodes i don't know if i mean maybe people can confirm that if they if they give ten dollars but the uh we did an episode is only ten dollars away (laughs) it's exactly yes and and 40 hours of your time Well, no, it'll it'll say what the oh, anyway. I see, I see. There's an episode in which we talked about uh, the suburbs, oh. and uh, a couple of times during that, uh, I brought up uh, families that it, one could say they live in the suburbs. One could also say they're rich, like the family in Ordinary People, for example. And uh, and I remember some listeners emailed and said, you know, I'm not sure if the family from Ordinary People would be considered the suburbs. They kind of live in a large house that's a little bit removed. They're certainly not in the middle of the city, but I'm not sure if you'd call that a suburb. I that- would definitely call it a suburb. Okay. They're upper middle class. There are also middle class and lower middle class suburbs. Yeah. But uh, I would definitely call that a suburb. I'm not it's even like- sure if I would call them upper middle class. I might go go so far as to just say they're rich. Um, they seem pretty rich. Uh-huh. Or at least, uh, you know what? How about this? Mary Tyler Moore seems rich. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know, but I mean, they, yeah, they have a big house and a lot of space. We don't live like on a uh, an estate, right? It's, right. Yeah. So um, it's like a McMansion, right? I guess so. Sure. I don't totally know what that means. I've heard the term before. I think the, I, I, my the idea is that if you have a mansion built, you're super rich, and you probably have it built to your specifications. Where a McMansion is something that's sort of pre-built based on existing cookie cutter type of layouts, okay. and then bought after the fact. Okay, I see. So you're not, and, and it's probably the, a little smaller. Okay, so you're not to the point. You mentioned Queen of Versailles. We'll talk. We'll start off with that. You're not yeah. to the point as the wonderful documentary Queen of Versailles, <clears throat> where you can just build the largest house in the country, um, which apparently they couldn't do. But um, 
one of the things that I so Queen of Versailles at the moment is in my top ten of the year, and it's not and based on its placement placement, it is not likely to drop out. Um, and uh, one of the things that I love about it, and this is okay, so all right, <laughs> I'm not going to get political, but here's the thing: like, there's a lot of con- there's a lot of like conservatives that will have kind of this knee jerk reaction to like defend the rich. <clears throat> And I'm not sure if I like the idea of that. Uh, I might have a knee-jerk reaction where I don't want to demonize them quite so quickly, but uh, but actually defending them as like, ah, well, they're rich because they've achieved. Well, some of them, sure. Yeah. Others, maybe not. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily make them automatically bad people if you marry into money, if you inherit money, yeah. uh, as we'll get to when we talk about Bruce Wayne. But like, uh, yeah, yeah I, I think it is. I think it's a more complex. Uh, thing to talk about than just to say rich people are bad or rich people are awesome and so um and queen of versailles i think is a perfect example of what i'm talking about because you see this woman who has married into money she could have been what like she i forget what it is that she majored in but it was like computer science or something she was a smart smart person and then met somebody who is like uh into computers and just hated his life and she's like ah I think I'm going to go into like modeling (laughs) and was successful there. And so it's, she's a surprisingly well-rounded person. Then she got married. She married, uh, into a very, very rich family. She married a guy whose name I do not recall. Um, it's it's David something. David's yeah. Something I don't recall, but, um, but he's incredibly rich and, older than she is as one would kind of assume with a situation like this and they went on to have you know they can talk or not talk for hours and never (laughs) run out of things to talk or not talk about (laughs) they both love soup um that's reference to best in show right yeah yeah we didn't need to spoon feed it to the listener i'm sure well i was kind of i i sort of forget so so many of those characters run together Uh, that i totally didn't totally remember which one it was you know for the longest time i had trouble admitting that best in show is better than waiting for government because waiting for government was first hmm. and uh but you know what i think best in show is you think is, it's the best one i think it's the best one i think it's the best one i do like mighty wind the, the more i watch it the more i, I like i've never seen that one. Oh man and the music is is wonderful yeah. but, i've heard some of that but uh anyway so uh so they go so she and and her husband go on to have a number of of children and she basically just runs the household and she took a trip to Versailles and decides she wants to build a uh, a replica of Versailles and so they put a lot of money into it but then uh you know the market crashes and and they have to cut back now of course cutting back for them means uh not having a driver all the time not taking private jets everywhere you know they're still living a pretty luxurious life to the rest of us, but to, to the them they're cutting us. back. But yeah, it, well, yeah, they have to. They had to. They had to let go like nineteen of their servants or something. Yeah. Like, and who knows? It, you know, maybe they've got three hundred left. I don't know. <laughs> but um, uh, and what I what here's the thing. It would have been very very easy for the film to adopt a tone of glee at their quote unquote misfortune. And let me tell you, you watched it at home, right? I uh, did. Uh, Go see it with an audience in Los Feliz, and they will insist upon that tone even when it's not there. I and was that, very annoyed by people like stuff that is funny but also sympathetic. Like I, I don't want to give away the biggest thing to me, which is the the when she rents the car. But I um, love that scene, but um, for a number of reasons. So there's such mocking laughter in the theater; it was really kind of annoying me because that's and there it like I laughed at some of the stuff. It is 
I mean, yeah. their their taste is really tacky, really gaudy, and it's it, worth laughing at. It is. You don't have to yeah. feel bad about laughing at it. But, right. And that's not that's not merely a function of them being rich. That's a function. You can you can be rich and have great taste, and you can uh-huh. be just because you have money doesn't mean you have taste. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I was annoyed by the kind of laughter that was happening in the theater because it is it is a more sympathetic portrait because it it shows what you uh, I think what you were getting at. So I'm going to step on your uh, point here. That's fine. Um, but the idea these people have become, um, you know, perfectly nice people who didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. She just married someone. Her kids just like were born into this. Yeah. They through through non nefarious means have become accustomed right. to something. And so when they uh, when they lose that, it's hard on them in uh, similar ways to how it's hard on people who are less well off or at least right. from their perspective it is yeah her worst crime is that she's out of touch which can, admittedly can be kind of bad but not so out of touch that like there's a part where like an old friend of hers is in danger of losing her house and she just gives her it's like oh here's some money she winds up still losing the house but like she gives it's like here d- here's this yeah like yeah. she just does that without thinking about it her and, other crime though she does she knows things are bad and she does overspend quite she a bit. does yes she's you know which admittedly like jen and i are pretty far from being that wealthy we'll get there someday uh-huh. but <laughs> once the podcast money starts rolling in once people decide they want those first 40 episodes yep. uh but uh but you know like we recently like put ourselves like on a budget and uh it is surprisingly hard where it's just like oh, i could make myself some food or i could order another pizza ah shoot you know what i mean and even though that's like a ten dollar decision like it's once you grow accustomed to spending even small amounts like that, not doing it is remarkably difficult. And so I do want to talk about the, the scene that you mentioned because that to me is the movie in a nutshell. And I feel, should I not go into it? I love it. I think I it's guess, amazing. Um, I mean, it's not like a, this isn't a movie with plot twists. Yeah. And this it, is certainly not the climax of the film by no, any stretch. No, it's just one thing that she says that is to me very, it's like, it, it's, it's the thing that stands out to me the most. Yeah, it's so, t- it's telling, but in in two ways. Yeah. One of which almost never gets talked about. So you only need this if you don't want to ha- like have this uh, spoiled for you. You'd only need to skip ahead like a minute or so. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, so do you want to say? Sure. Okay. Okay. So they're they're cutting back. They put themselves on a budget. She goes to she goes to New York to visit family and friends. She goes to the airport uh, to rent a car. And then she's getting all the information from the guy behind the desk. And then she asks, what's the name of the driver? And he's like, uh, excuse, excuse me? She goes, the name of the driver, what is it? Yeah, he has no idea what she's talking about. Right. And she doesn't know that, oh, she's going to be driving. Like, she's had drivers mm-hmm. her whole life. And so... Well, not her whole life. Not her whole life. But her like, married life. Yeah. Her married life. That she's grown accustomed to that. And so she's. it didn't occur to her that she's renting a car and she's going to be the one to drive it. Um, now, here's the thing. Everyone's like, ah, ha, ha, she's so out of touch. And part of me's like... You know, we're kind of glossing over the fact she wants to know the name of the driver. Yeah. Some people wouldn't. And in point of fact, I have a friend who right now occasionally works as a butler for a couple, a British couple in Beverly Hills who goes back and forth between here and London. Oh, that sounds like a sitcom. Sort of, except horrible. (laughs) Um, Like, they are such assholes to him. And now it it pays incredibly well. and, And he, you know, but his, you know, it's like a 14 hour shift. They have... Speaking of drivers, they have somebody sitting in their roles uh, all the time so that at any given point, they can go out to their car, sit down, and just go. 
Now, of course, it's not just one person sitting there 24 hours a day, but, uh, you know, you take shifts, but there's always somebody just sitting there. And it's like, that's a crazy, and they, it's private, I believe they make their living manufacturing private jets. Huh. So, they always have them. Like in the garage? The, <laughs> right, yeah. The family themselves <laughs> put it together. But, um, but, you know, when I hear about how they treat mm-hmm. their servants and that sort of thing, um, and then I look at, then I think of Queen of Versailles, it's like, you could do... We've gone over our minutes, so don't mention the thing. Right, right. Okay. When I think, and then I look at... at uh, the woman in Queen of Versailles, I think, you know, she's not a monster. Her husband's kind of a jag a lot of the time, but she's, but the movie's mostly about her. And it would have been so easy to just have it be this dismissive thing, especially with the, the general climate now, which is, you know, 99 and 1%. And like, it'd be very easy to do that. And the fact that it doesn't makes it, I think a really well made fair minded. Cause it also doesn't gloss over her, her other aspects. <laughs> uh, it's a great documentary, and yeah. it just, it, yeah. I don't know, it gets me thinking about how I, I, movies depict should, the rich. I should use this point in the topic to uh, admit my own biases that I try to fight against, but um, uh, I was listening to uh, NPR or something that... No, you know, there's a problem right there. ...that we lefties uh, like to listen to, <laughs> and they were they were talking about... Um, uh, a, a, it was a years-long study that some university did about sort of just the... Uh, you know, uh, mental and intellectual differences between people who have a lot of money and people who don't. And one thing that they latched onto, the NPR people, and therefore I did because that's what they were pushing, was this, uh, this finding that people who are wealthy have less uh, empathy. They experience empathy less mm-hmm. than us. And and it was very troubling that that was not only true of people who were born and grew up wealthy, but people who had become wealthy had yeah, lost that, some that, of their that empathy. Yeah, that one's really interesting to me. Yeah, um... But then, you know, I've been thinking about that for the past, we listened to that like a week or two ago, but thinking about that a lot. And then uh, I sort of, I was watching Chopped on uh, on the Food Network the other night. And they did, uh, this was back in October, I was just watching it the other night, um, did an episode with, it was Teen Chefs. Okay. Uh, and the first girl who got eliminated was like, she lived between New York and Paris. Like she clearly came from money. And uh, well, my girlfriend was like, Oh, when she got eliminated, my mental reaction was like, who gives a fuck? Like, mm. she's rich. And I realized like, oh, I don't have a lot of empathy for rich people. Yeah. I should probably work on that. Because, again, like the kids in Queen of Versailles, it's not this 13-year-old girl's fault that her family is rich. Right. She she is passionate about, about cooking, and I, I should be happy for that because it's, yeah. uh, you know, someone doing something they love. Uh, it so it is very, tough. It could be very easy for her. To not be passionate about anything. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. So it is tough for me. It's a thing. But I want to say uh, that does not uh, that, that, that does not discount the fact that This is 40 is a really annoying movie. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about this because uh, I want to well, talk about – we're talking about recent movies. We'll get into all the ones after that. But like Arbitrage, which is about a, definitely a 1% type of guy like he's very well off and the movie doesn't let him off the hook for what he's done to get there because he didn't Mm -hmm. grow up i don't think he grew up poor but he he made his billions himself and uh in ways that were not entirely scrupulous and the movie does not let him off the hook but also you know you come to uh you couldn't be conflicted about you know do i want this guy to get away with what he's done because he's now 
become a well-written and well-acted human that I sympathize with, or do I not want him to get away with it because what he's done is awful? Yeah. Uh, and it actually plays on that, you know, the, the idea of the difference between treating rich people as a monolithic, monolithic other yeah. and rich people as individual people. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, there was also uh, Lawrence Kasdan made a film early, earlier this year called Darling Companion, mm-hmm. which was like, I mean, the whole premise was that um, uh, Kevin Klein and Diane Keaton go, uh, they take their family to uh, their cabin that they own in the mountains in another state for their daughter's destination wedding. Like, it's obviously rich people, but yeah. then the source of their tension, and it's not a great movie, it's a slight movie, but it was enjoyable, uh, but the source of the tension is doesn't have anything to do with money. It's about people and relationships between people, Right. and so I... Uh, ended up enjoying that, so I wanted wanted to put those things out there as a way of saying that I'm not I don't just dislike this is forty because it's about wealthy people, and these aren't one percenters; these are upper middle classes, yeah. these are uh, ordinary people type of type of rich people. Um, it's it's complete tone deafness uh, to the difference between the way that these characters live and the way that most people live. It, you know, they're they're complaining about money all the time. And then going on last-minute lavish weekend vacations or, like, having parties that have, you know, catering and and all this stuff. And the movie doesn't seem to – the movie seems completely unaware of the problem there. And that's what what rubs me the wrong way. Let me play devil's advocate for just one moment. Have you seen This is 40? No. Okay. Um, So I'm I'm merely uh, asking a question. Um, But – you know, there are a number of people that dislike, and I'll just use the term again because it saves time, uh, mumblecore. They don't like mumblecore films because it's about, you know, 20-somethings who live in, live in a city and are white, and, are white and, are, and probably come from not money in the same way, like, you know, not wealth, but they're, yeah. they're probably, they didn't come from a poor place. They, you know, there's loneliness and ennui and things that, like, you know, there are people that watch these movies and say, you know, cry me a river. You know, you can always ask your parents for money or you can always just move home and you're going to be fine. Uh-huh. Um, but the films do not take that attitude. They take the attitude of their main characters. Um, they do not judge these people's uh, self-absorption and and all of that. Most of them, I'd say. And so one could say, having not seen This is 40, but based on what most people say, I don't think I would like it. Uh, per, is it is it possible that the film is merely just accepting the characters where they are economically and just, uh, just saying like, okay, this is the life they live. If they complain about money, so be it. Who doesn't? I think it's just maybe it's just that it's so unclear about what exactly their financial problems are. are you know on the one hand like she's saying they should start going to a couple's therapist every week and he's he thinks that's too expensive but if that's too expensive then how can they afford this other stuff so it's just it doesn't seem in line with itself yeah is is what i'm saying if it were consistent uh i would be okay with it okay but it's not okay it it almost wants to sort of Here's a phrase I know you don't like. It wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants to allow I think, these. You know, I, do, I, I like that phrase now. You've come around to it, yeah. Okay, but like because it, I, there was a point in my life when I was maybe a teenager when I didn't get that phrase because I didn't get why you would want to have a cake for any other reason than to eat it. Right. But now I understand the idea is like, oh, the cake's pretty. Mm-hmm. I like having this cake. Yeah. 
Now, I know I get what it means. For years growing up, I did not understand what that phrase meant because I didn't. It sounds it, like you didn't grow up around some pretty uh, ornate cakes. I didn't, I, th- I guess. <laughs> I didn't see any reason for a cake to exist other than, like, why even decorate a cake? Cakes are made for eating. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> do you know, I, I've like, um, for one thing, do you know that I say, do you know, on this podcast all the time and I never say it in real life? That phrase, do you know? I say it all no the time. No idea. I always say it on the podcast. I don't say that in real life. It's really weird. Anyway, I've just noticed myself in recent episodes saying it a lot and realizing I never say that any other time. Well, I never see you in real life, so I have, no, <laughs> I have right. nothing to compare it to. Um, uh, you know, I've grown up in a lot of ways from being a teenager, you know, uh, and I've definitely taken more interest in sort of uh, aesthetics and style and, and that sort of thing. I still, at 30 years old, hate making the bed and don't understand why I have to make the bed. <laughs> I hear you, man. It's so annoying. It's like, this is... I'm going to be right back here mm-hmm. and I'm going to say 16 to 18 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to screw this whole thing up again. <laughs> I understand like making, making up the bed so that it's not just a total mess, but like yeah. doing the whole thing, like fluffing the pillows. Yeah. Like I get up in the morning, my girlfriend gets up before I, I do and sometimes goes to the gym or sometimes just getting ready. So I'll be the last one out of the bed. So she'll be like getting ready for the day in, in the bedroom, you know, we're in there together and I'm getting up and I'll be like, uh, and I started making the bed, and I said on many occasions, like, this will be the worst part of my day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really okay. hate it. So I do want to to move on, because I've got a pretty long list here. Uh, okay, good, because I don't have... Well, you know what? I had a place to go, but oh, I think, go, uh, go ahead. It's okay, because um, I wanted to keep with the idea of, like, punishing wealthy people for being wealthy, or just showing them as... As the study said, like less empathetic, less uh, less good people. Okay, uh, you know. Now we're not talking about straight up villains yet. Just basically people who just are out of touch and are concerned very much with themselves first. But also, I think it, where the idea to get back to the idea of like the ninety nine percent and the one percent, you know, that like, um, um, okay, if I if I go and hold up a liquor store or steal a wallet, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do, I'm more likely to do time for that few hundred or thousand dollars than someone who has bilked millions or hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars through white collar crime. Yeah. Um, And I think that's completely unfair. uh, But I think there are movies that show how that sort of, there's a lot of sort of permissiveness, you know, or, or just the idea that, um, money makes it easier to get away with things. I don't know if you... Um, you haven't watched the current season of... Or not the current, because it's over, but the most recent season of Homeland. Uh, and this isn't a big spoiler, but it includes a story where um, the vice president's son uh, is involved in a hit-and-run accident, and uh, the woman eventually eventually dies. And um, when the vice president and his wife find out about it, there's the idea of like him going to the police or anything like that isn't even it's so far from the realm of possibility the idea is just like how do we make this go away like they send him away to another school they pay off the family not to talk about it no it's and and in a way they're just as upset with their son as my mom would have been if i ran over someone when i was 16 but the way they go about it is just it's a whole different set of options that are uh, you know easier because of money and it is interesting i mean think about it now like if a if a celebrity and I mean a big celebrity 
does something horribly wrong, like the idea of them seeing any kind of real jail time, I know that I myself have thought like, well, certainly they can't go to jail. They're, they're a celebrity. And I don't necessarily mean like they, they're better than us, but I mean, just like, well, they'll be treated differently, right? Because like they can't go to jail because since they're a celebrity, they'll then be a target in jail. So there's got to be some kind of other thing. Well, and that should say, because I'll get my lefty high horse again, but because of the, you know, prejudices in our society, women and black rappers will go to jail. Lindsay Lohan went to jail. Martha Stewart went to jail. Uh, most rappers <laughs> no that's a joke okay. but and you know <laughs> uh you know oj simpson um he's not a rapper but uh but he didn't go to jail oh no for the eventually. second thing he yes. did eventually for the vegas thing um yes that's right yeah uh so yeah it's not uncommon yeah you, people do go to jail but yeah uh rebecca gayhart didn't go to jail did she for i, I can't i can't immediately Pull to mind who that is. Okay. Well, she... The thing that she... Uh, it makes me sick to my stomach. Okay. Not because it was like... Uh, she was like drunk like Mel Gibson. Like Mel Gibson didn't go to jail for right. his uh, uh, drunk driving or anything. Um, and maybe he spent the night in a drunk take. I don't know. Um, I don't know the details. But with most of this misbehavior, you say like... Um, uh, like oh they're you know that's an excessive lifestyle they don't think of the consequences I think the thing that happened that Rebecca Gayhart did could have happened to me or you or anyone okay. she was driving down a suburban street there was a you know there were cars parked on either side and there was a car a SUV just stopped in the lane in front of her it just stopped so she went around it and a kid ran out and she oh. killed him it's whenever I think about it it makes my like I get sick to my stomach my skin crawls because it could happen to anyone oh us. well i mean i told you about and i don't think the bp listeners know but like a couple months ago they on, do if they listen to more than one listen yeah uh on my street uh somebody was just driving along to my knowledge uh speed limit which is like you know 35 35 miles an hour is certainly enough to kill somebody if yeah. you don't if you're not breaking yeah and so uh and this guy stepped out from behind a tree and she hit him and he uh died and, and, and she right was sober out. she was sober and she's just this you know like 19, right? I'd say probably, yeah, between 19 and 25 probably. Like, mm-hmm. just young girl, probably just going home at, like, 11.30. Everything seemed to be fine. And he, honestly, like, uh, based on how he looked and how he smelled, mm-hmm. uh, I think he might have been a homeless guy who was not sober. Okay. And so, um, but nonetheless, like, and then, so that actually did happen. I almost hit a kid when his, oh, I was driving the speed limit on a residential street Mm -hmm. this was a few years ago and i'm driving along and you know cars parked on both sides and this guy i slow down as i see him he has walked across the street and uh everything looks to be fine and so i speed up a little bit only to find that he has now beckoned his i'm gonna say four-year-old son across the street to him he did not walk with him what yeah and so I had to slam on my brakes because he beckoned. He said, hey, everything should be fine, four-year-old. Come on over across the street. Never mind this. I, at the time, I was driving, driving the Explorer so I could barely see the kid. It was horrible. Like, oh. I, didn't, I didn't necessarily come. I, I don't think I actually was that close to the kid. But nonetheless, I was like, if I was going five miles an hour faster, this kid is gone. 
Look, I know people who have kids think that people who don't have kids shouldn't judge parenting. That's bad parenting. That's bad parenting. <laughs> you know, yeah. All right, uh, we're getting away from the topic yeah, of yeah, movies, sorry. though. Um, uh, so I wanted to talk about movies that... Uh, um, I wanted to bring up a movie that I don't I don't like very much, uh, Match Point. Oh, okay. Uh, which is... Uh, I mean, Jonathan Reese meyers character is not... I mean, I don't think he's broke when he started. It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't think he's broke, but I think he's kind of hurting for money. He doesn't really know where it's going to... Where yeah. he's going to go. And he finds his way in and essentially you know, he does some he does some really awful things. Yeah. And I guess, spoiler, he gets away with it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's I mean, that's definitely Woody Allen sort of commenting on how it's easier to get away with things. You, it's easier to sweep things under the rug when you've got the money to do so. Well, and incidentally, he, he got away with the exact same thing that Martin Landau got away with in another Woody Allen movie. A better Woody before. Allen movie. A better Woody Allen film, no question. But what I what I do find interesting about that movie is that, yes, the stuff that he gets away with causes panic, but he's, he's a panicked character anyway because he clearly does not... He feels like he doesn't necessarily belong and he feels like he's going to be found out. And I like... I actually like Jonathan Reese meyers performance because he seems so kind of go with the flow and kind of relax like all the other characters do but underneath you know that like he's just like it's just a matter of time before i say the wrong thing and people immediately realize hey he's not part of this class get Mm -hmm. out of here and that's even before he does any of the stuff that he has to get away with like he already feels like he's getting away with something you know i'm not a big fan of him but he's he's not bad in that role i think he's pretty good i'm not sure if i'd say it was great his best role is in titus oh no oh i love it yeah (laughs) yeah um so yeah uh Okay. No, so, uh, Velvet Goldmine. He was kind of made for that part. He, yes. I I don't know. He's pretty good in bed and like that. <laughs> no, I'm just not. laughing now. Um, okay. So uh, I uh, have here a okay. list of... Sorry, com- it's your topic and I keep wanting to like... Oh, if you've got... If you've got uh, well, I just want to keep this theme of like punishing. Okay. Because what I was working up to is the... You know, I mentioned Woody Allen. Um, we, we'll, we should probably talk about the talent of Mr. Ripley at some point. Mm-hmm. But... Um, there's no filmmaker who likes to punish the bourgeois more than Michael Haneke. Yeah. Um, or Mikhail Haneke, I think. It's something like that. Uh, I don't know how they say it in Austria. Uh, but I'm going to stick with Michael Haneke because it, yeah. it just flows for my American tongue, I guess. You know, his nickname when he was a kid was Happy Hanukkah because uh-huh. he was just so upbeat. Yeah. it's uh, so. Uh, and he decided to rebel against that. Yeah, you wouldn't expect that. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, well, I mean, talk about like people sweeping things. Uh, you know, his movie, uh, early movie Benny's Video, includes includes a story of a kid doing a really, really horrific thing, uh, and his parents trying to um, cover it up, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go on from there. Obviously, Funny Games is you know, it's just the rich people suffering movie. Uh, and cachet. to my knowledge, they've done nothing, nothing actually wrong. Yeah. Except, I don't know how to end that sentence. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, the I, family it, from from Funny Games. I mean, I guess just living a life of leisure. Yeah. Yeah, it's the sort of like um, the speech that Anne Hathaway as Catwoman has. You know, like, uh, how did you think you could live so high for so long and leave so little for the rest of us? It's just this idea that eventually. A day of reckoning is going to come, and you're going to have to pay the uh, piper. Pay the piper? Is that the saying? I think so. Yeah, yeah pay the piper. Yeah, I guess. 
because uh, the the people of the Pied Piper they refused to pay him, and so he uh, took all their children. Took all their children, yeah, and ate them. Right? I think he just drowned them in the in a lake or something. Huh. Okay. I think you're thinking of the Hansel and Gretel witch. Okay. Hansel and Gretel, there's a 2013 movie I'm looking forward to. Hansel and Gretel witch hunters. That's the one. I'm being sarcastic. Uh, Although I, I have no doubt it's going to be big in Salem. Well, <laughs> by the time this episode comes out, Hansel and, Gret- which, Hansel and Gretel witch hunters will already have cleaned up at the box office. Oh, no question. All right. Um, I got to get that sweet Hawkeye money. So, yeah, I don't know what uh, Michael... And, I'm, and I think Michael Haneke probably... He has money. He's probably sort of a, maybe a, he's a self-hating bourgeoisie. Maybe. I'm self-hating and also just maybe like apologetic, kind of that attitude of like, maybe if I, maybe if I hate these characters, maybe people will forgive me, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because they'll see that I'm, I may have a lot of money, but I'm, I'm, I'm on their side. (laughs) Um, But yeah. And so, okay. What else you got? Now, that's, this that's is very exciting because so far you've brought up there's been no overlap well, with we our talked, list. I know, we, I know we both have Batman on yeah. here, so let's. Uh, well, you you take over from. Okay, me. so I have here a list of communists. That's where I. That's <laughs> that's how you end that sentence. I shouldn't have started it that way. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, no, I've got a list of like various characters, and many of them are. Uh, I'd say most of them are like villains. Uh, if not just bad people, uh, but a handful of them are good guys. But since we're talking about uh, characters that need to be punished or characters that get away with it, we'll we'll stick with that. Characters that do bad things, but because they are rich, they get away with it. All right. First off, we'll go with American Psycho. All uh-huh. right. Now it's arguable whether there's anything for him to get away with. Right. I think there's not. Right. But nonetheless, it's still. He still could. Like, it's one of those things, like, he's still going to be fine. It's a, it's a foregone conclusion that even if he even if he actually did do it and he confesses, people just give him the benefit of the doubt because of who he is and, mm-hmm. and how much money he has, but also the job he has. And it's like, he, he couldn't possibly be capable of this, so they just move on. So that's one. Um, By the way, have you read that book, American Psycho? I have not. It's, um, I don't know if you'd... That's the toughest book for me to say whether or not I like because I think it set out to do a thing and 100% succeeded but that doesn't mean I like it yeah uh, no I've, I've read that sort of thing before in fact I just finished reading as you know I just re- finished reading The Fountainhead and uh-huh. it's like congratulations you did exactly what you wanted to do <laughs> Ugh. but I mean American Psycho because the, the thing with the American Psycho the book is the uh, like he's so obsessed with the surface that everything becomes surface and he feels nothing yeah so you get when he meets a new character you get like a page and a half of description of what that character is wearing and where it came from and how it's tailored and how it you know work how the outfit works together and then when he tortures someone you get just as detailed a description yeah with with just as little uh emotion and aren't there like several pages on huey lewis and phil collins well that's in the in, in well in the in the movie he does a little bit, but not to that extent. Yeah, it's an, it's an entire chapter. There's a Huey Lewis one, there's a Phil Collins one, and there's a Whitney Houston one. Huh. Uh, there might be more, actually. There might be... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he it does see, it does cannibals seem... or something else from that time. <laughs> uh, that does seem like such a fascinating idea for a book, but it also seems like the kind that just leaves you empty, because what, <laughs> what else could it do? 
Okay, so American Psycho. Um, okay, so I decided to think a little bit, a little outside the box a little bit, and I'm going to go with Jeffrey Lebowski from The Big Lebowski. Uh-huh. The, uh, the other Jeffrey Lebowski, the millionaire. Yeah. yeah. Um, that he... He's a, you know, in true film noir fashion, the rich guy in the wheelchair is scheming uh-huh. and you can't trust him, but it's, he's just going to, he's, he gets a certain degree of punishment by being uh, lifted up by Walter and thrown on the floor basically. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's, a, that's as much as it's going to be like committing fraud, hiring people to do these things, manipulating people like he's going to be fine. He's going to, there's also a comment in there about him, um, Taking on the aura of the like bootstrap self-made millionaire, when realizing yeah. he he's not like that. He doesn't have yeah. any money of his own, and yeah. of course, there's the great line. He's like, "I didn't blame anyone for the loss of my legs. Some Chinaman took them from me in Korea." <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, it's uh, which is a nice little sort of mirror of of the dude earlier using the term Chinaman and being yeah. scolded for it rightly by Walter Sobchak. It's an amazing, amazing movie. It really, yeah, man, it like, really it, holds it up. It can't be said enough. Um, and it has been said ad nauseum for 15 years, yeah. but it can't be said enough. It's an amazing movie. And it's been said by different types of people, and, and this is how much of an asshole I am a lot of the time. If a certain people talk, if a certain type of person talks about it, I'm just like, ugh, you don't like it the way it needs to be. It should be liked. <laughs> well, do you remember the, um, the Onion article that was like, your friend always watching Big Lebowski when you go to his <laughs> apartment. And um, my, uh, you know, in my brief sort of early college days when I was a bit of a, the brief part of my time that I was a bit of a pothead, the guy, my, I guess I would say my dealer, but he was just my friend that I bought weed from. <laughs> uh, it's exactly don't don't like, try to clean it up. He was your <laughs> dealer. I guess he was. Um, but he, he was my buddy. Anyway, yeah. um <laughs> Literally every time I went to his house, he was watching The Big Lebowski. Oh, I could see, yeah. I mean, there are people that like it just because they think the dude's life is the one to live. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that, you know, I guess you can comb anything out of anything. But, uh, okay, so obviously, um, th- it's not a, it's it's not shown that this character will get away with what he's done, but I assume he will, Daniel Plainview. Um, uh-huh. I, I don't think he's going to go to jail. No. Um, I mean, I have no real reason to think that except my own cynicism about rich people. Um, like in front of a jury, it's just like, Hey, he clearly did this terrible thing. Fingerprints on everything. Like uh-huh. no one else could have done it. <laughs> like I have no reason except for he probably found an awesome attorney who found a loophole yeah. and just paid the hell out of him. Like, so there's that, uh, Noah cross, obviously, um, he gets away with everything and in fact benefits immensely. And what's worse benefits emotionally. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. I, I can I can spoil this. You can this. spoil Chinatown. Yeah. Chin- Chinatown. <laughs> Chinatown Abbey. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. By the so, way, my, my, uh, my mom and my sister were visiting me this past weekend. I think I might have mentioned that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, they both watch Downton Abbey, and they their little nickname for it, maybe this is common, but I hadn't heard it before, is to call it Downtown Arby's, <laughs> <laughs> which made me laugh. But uh, for all I know, that's rampant. Uh, okay. But yeah. And so what I, what I think is interesting about Noah Cross's arc is that Noah's arc, one could say, Whoa. <laughs> All right. I'm, I, I think I'm done. I don't have anything more to say. <laughs> yeah, go, go out on a high you note. You guys can get us. But, uh, <laughs> just, just dead eyes. So, um, but what, I, one thing that I find interesting is that there are characters who are very rich and even if they don't, even if they 
do get away with something, we, the viewer, want to, we need to be able to tell ourselves, well, at least they're not going to be happy. At least they're going to be miserable. Like, that's how I, that's how I console myself about, about Daniel Plainview. Uh He is the most miserable character, character you'll ever see. He is incapable of being happy because of the choices he's made. Noah Cross subverts that. He has justified the horrible things he's done. And because he's rich, he's going to get away with what he's done. And he now takes possession in this really creepy-ass way with his long, spindly fingers. You know, he just absorbs this girl, basically, uh, and takes her away. And so now he can... His whole thing is like, well, you know, I I should have a relationship with my daughter. You know, the one I created by raping my other daughter. Like, he sees nothing wrong with that. And in fact, he feels like he deserves a relationship with her. There's that sense of entitlement and the feel and the sense that like, it's not merely that, that he doesn't get his daughter, but he doesn't get put in jail either. He gets that he gets everything and he, and he's going to be able to tell himself, ah, here's my daughter. Everything's fine. Yeah. And he, and I have no doubt that he's going to feel, he's going to be a very happy man. And that is what is most infuriating of all. So, well, you know who else is not happy? Who's that? Bruce Wayne. Okay. Uh, but, um, you know, I think maybe the early version of Batman, I think just maybe used his wealth as a means to an end. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think it's uh, over, as the characters existed for longer, more and more people have explored um, what it means, both both emotionally for him to be... Um, so very wealthy and be removed you know have have that uh that loneliness that distance mm-hmm. but also what it means sort of uh politically you know um should uh should a private citizen have as much power wield as much power as he does just because of how much money right he has and and is it okay for us to cheer for him to override the uh common rule of law and and the and the uh you know authorities whom we have elected you know no one elected bruce wayne mm-hmm. to be batman you don't run for batman right. you run from batman <laughs> <laughs> uh that's i guess that's what the parts i, I wanted to mention about batman what did you put him on uh, your list for? i wrote it down specifically for dark knight rises uh because i think that's the one that deals with it the most directly in the first in the tim burton batman they they briefly make jokes about it about how how big his wealth how how big his lifestyle as bruce wayne is but that i think i think comments say like you know yeah that's right i think vicky vale says you know some of this it's like all this stuff doesn't seem like you at all Mm -hmm. and and then stuff like and one of my favorite phrases said of course by uh, robert wool uh he says the rich you know why they're so weird or strange because they can afford to be uh-huh. Um, and you could say the rich, you know why they're so blank because they can afford to be. <laughs> right. Um, but with dark Knight rises, that's when they really delve into, I think Bruce Wayne being rich. And of course it comes about in the, in the, again, the 1%, 99% occupy wall street, uh, climate. Um, and I think it does make the, the argument that like he is, striving for good things and his wealth enables him to do that not merely through the batman thing but also through you know charitable causes and all that but he also does consider himself above the law and it's arguable what it's because his intentions are good good for him but clearly the character of daggett 
played by the guy whose name I do not recall from Animal Kingdom and Killing Them Softly. Um, he is also a millionaire. And he also thinks he's above the law, but he's, and so like, I, I like that that character is in it because you have these two guys, you know, you could make the argument like, oh, well, you know, Bruce Wayne is a millionaire and he does good things with it. So clearly there's, this film is taking a, taking the side of millionaires and saying it's fine. But then you look at Daggett, but then you also look at like somebody like a Bane who uses, I would say very populist messages in mm-hmm. order to enslave people. Yeah. And I, that's the thing. There's a lot of stuff I don't like about that movie, but the way it examines politics and propaganda, I find fascinating. See, I find that it, I, I find the 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 premise behind it fascinating, but the the execution doesn't work as well. I agree with that to a certain extent, yes. as the metaphor does in The Dark Knight, the the previous film, because uh, uh, in that one he uses his power, and this is I think to to my eyes pretty clearly a comment on the you know. Uh, Patriot Act and, and stuff like that. He uses his money uh, and his access to the latest and greatest in technology to use people as surveillance and mm-hmm. um, as a byproduct, s- surveil them um, against their will. Uh, and he he uses it for good. Yeah. But you know, uh, the, I think that movie has the, its sort of questioning of whether or not the means justify the ends uh you know through morgan freeman's character whose name i forget lucius lucius um those two movies really are films of their time i mean mm -hmm. 2008 it was all about patriot act like the things that bush has been doing you know 2012 it's all about like the government plays less of a role and it's more about i don't know this group versus that group yeah chips on the shoulder and that sort of thing, whatever that might be, you know, Bane being born into darkness, Catwoman just feeling like she's trapped by her own poverty and the choices that she's yeah. made. And it's just really, and, and the fact that like the Daggett character toys with her in order to get what he wants, even though he has no intention yeah. of getting her what she needs. Um, and yeah, you just made me realize that that the power has been between films have been taken so far away from, the the government that Nestor Carbonell's mayor is almost laughingly ineffectual in Dark Knight Rises. He's yeah. got like two scenes and he does and he I think very pointedly and in a good performance by Nestor Carbonell does like nothing of worth or note at all in those two scenes. Right. Like he's I mean like the 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 dent act at the beginning of the film is like doing very is doing very well, so to speak. Uh-huh. Um and so the mayor is sort of hiding behind that and hiding behind the shadow of Harvey Dent. And that allows him to do whatever he needs to do to get reelected. Uh, but okay, so we can move on. Um, I did want to talk about, uh, some rich heroes. So basically, okay. Uh, Well, you want to stick with superheroes and talk about Iron Man? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, I find Tony Stark fascinating. Um, precisely because he's incredibly rich and his, and I don't think he's. I don't think he apologizes for his wealth. He apologizes for the way he made his wealth and works towards uh, trying to undo that. But again, and such is the nature with any superhero movie. But like subverting, and if you and you haven't seen Iron Man too, no. but there's a whole thing about like the government saying like you know this Iron Man suit, this technology that you have is totally privatized and it could fall into the wrong hands. Like. If you give it, you should hand it over to us, the government, so that we can better protect it and that sort of thing. And so there's, and the government, by the way, is 
is represented by Gary Shandling as a, <laughs> as a senator. That's funny. It is. It's very. It's very interesting. And you just see like the with uh, Sam Rockwell's character, who's a villain, and is very a Tony Stark type. Now, how did they explain? You know how in every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, they kind of had to explain like, oh, he's from Austria, make some reference to it. How do they explain what happened to Gary Shandling's face? <laughs> Sorry, that's mean. But uh, anyway, go on. He got caught in some blast. <laughs> All right, but the, the the thing about Iron Man, he's kind of rich. I think um, he's portrayed, I think, in a, from a mostly liberal point of view, as positively rich in the way that a lot of Aaron Sorkin characters are. Mm-hmm. In that, um. I think Aaron Sorkin often, like with Sam Seaborn, uh, Rob Lowe's character on The West Wing, you know, uh, just coming from money, being very moneyed and having a lot of opportunity, um, he sort of acknowledges that that puts him at a reserve from the people as a whole, but then also makes the argument that he is able to get more done because, or make more larger strides forward because he is able to think about things in the macro you know and 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 not consider every individual Mm -hmm. that uh and you know that could be uh that could be an evil thing as well but uh and 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 i'm reaching a little bit i don't don't think in iron man or in the west wing that's ever explicitly stated right but i feel like that's kind of how aaron sorkin who i think also i don't know how i don't know that he's grew up as a you know one percenter or whatever but i think right. also came from some money yeah uh, I and think i, that's I think he's he doing okay now as well. <laughs> yeah yeah so, um and so i what i wanted to do is uh you know i i'm sure there are other things to say about iron man but i know we need to to move on uh, i wanted to talk about uh so we're talking about heroes a little bit and maybe there's one other person on here to talk about and then maybe just some straight up villains and then maybe i want to move into Neutral and then tragic. Okay. Well, by the way, that's I can do all that in about seven minutes. Okay. Well, let's do the one thing I want to do. Okay. First, and then we'll finish with your thing. By the way, that, we're not in a relationship, and you just said like maybe we could just do the one thing I want to do. Maybe we could do that. <laughs> do you know? Um, I said it again. Um, that reminds me of the only memorable line for me from Ace Ventura when nature calls. Which is when he's like living in the jungle, or whatever, and the guys come to recruit him to come back and solve yeah. some crime. And he's at the top of the like this temple type temple thing. like ziggurat type of thing. Yeah. And he puts the slinky down, and it makes it like to the second to last step. And yeah. He's like, okay, let me try it again. The guy's like, Mr. Ventura, we really should be going. Fine, let's do everything you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I haven't seen those movies in a while. I feel like I should rewatch them because I get the feeling because, you know, you and I talk about this is a slight tangent, slight. I'm sorry. It's a major tangent. Um, we talk about how, like, for some types of silly comedies, really all that matters is that you make us laugh. Yeah. I get the feeling there's a lot of solid laughs in both of those movies. In both, I definitely. In the first I mean, one, there's a lot. And I, I rewatched the first one like, maybe when I was in college. I feel like we rewatched it. We watched it together. Maybe not. We did. We watched it uh, the night after my uh the documentary about me played oh you me right. jen and cole went back to our place and watched ace ventura that yeah. was our celebration have we talked about the fact that there's a documentary about you i don't think we've okay. talked much let's, about it let's not mention it uh <laughs> maybe another time yeah we'll do an episode on it um, <laughs> uh but yeah my my memory is that ace ventura the first one definitely does hang on a sec i didn't make the documentary oh, about yeah. me i'm not crazy that is a 
this i'm glad you made that clarification okay. go ahead um but uh yeah the first ace ventura in my memory definitely stands up i haven't seen the second one since it was like brand new to video so i yeah. was in middle school i don't really remember it at all except for the that line uh but yeah there's lots of stuff in ace ventura that it's just plain silly mm. when he's doing when he's pretending to be the former football player and he's being checked into the mental institution <laughs> he's doing the like slow motion replay yeah. uh that's very funny when um when sean young offers him uh an ashtray when he's eating the sunflower seeds and he's like <laughs> no i don't smoke it's a disgusting habit is he spitting sunflower <laughs> seeds all over the place? that's very funny um i mean th- uh, more things that are funny in that movie of course the whole thing when he is the dolphins uh eccentric trainer you know and he's like uh uh do you know him do you call him at home do you have a dorsal fin oh yes that's right okay. you could quote him uh, and then the thing that cracks me up the best the most is at the very end of the film uh he's driving home with dan reno he's got his head out the window because his windshield's been shattered yeah and he's chewing an enormous wad of gum and yeah. dan reno's like do you have any more gum and he's like it's a very personal question dan and i'll thank you to stay out of my business in the future <laughs> Yeah, very funny movie. That's a very yeah. That's a weird <laughs> joke, but uh, okay. So, speaking of the thing you want to do, what is it you? Oh, wanna okay. Do? Uh, I want to talk about. Um, we'll call this the Gossip Girl section. Okay. Because this is, this was maybe the only theme of Gossip Girl that they just keep kept recycling every season, multiple times every season. Um, the idea that someone, and I think we talked about it before with Match Point, someone who's outside of this class, can come in can make money uh can buy the houses and all the things and will never really be a part of the class and so i want to talk i got three examples of movies that are about people who are sort of either trying to get their way in or just traveling through that mm-hmm. class i wanted um uh brian de palma's scarface okay uh, yeah even though it's not a very good movie is very much about how you know as much money and as excessive as he becomes, he's still the, you know, poor ethnic stereotype yeah. in a lot of ways. And the movie, I mean, the movie's about as subtle as uh, a Neil Blomkamp character with a big gun. <laughs> um, but uh, that's one that's yeah worth mentioning. Uh, and then I wanted to mention, for the second week in a row, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Okay. Um, which... Now I guess man, we're doing a lot of spoilers, but I guess I am gonna kind of gonna spoil the end of the 1999 version. That um, he's pretty much gotten away with it at that point, mm-hmm. and he continues to get away with it. But the last thing that he has to do to get away with it is kill another guy, a guy yeah. that he feels very strongly about. Yeah, uh, man, that's a haunting ending. Yes, yes, um, and. Uh, and you get you just get the impression that it's never he's never going to be at home in this world. He's always going to have to keep pretending and keep destroying and killing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is a haunting ending. And then one that is a comedy. It's one of my favorite movies of all time ever, but also has a bit of a melancholy to it. Is the Philadelphia Story? Okay, which yeah. uh, and again, I guess I'm going to spoil it, but the movie's twice as old as I am. I think it'd be okay. it's more than that. Uh, the movie's seventy something years old, probably. Um, it is. 1940 80 no 73 years 73 old, yes. years old um 
Jimmy Stewart in one of his best performances. Uh, the one for which he won an Oscar. Good. Um, you know, he comes into this world. He falls for Catherine Hepburn. Um, and she clearly has feelings for him, mm-hmm. too. And at the end, he has to accept that she belongs with the other rich guy, not with him. Because yeah. he's just a reporter. He doesn't... However, how, whatever the connection might be, he doesn't fit they they don't go together. Yeah, the the rich guy who, by the way, used to smack her around. <laughs> yeah, but in a really charming way. Yeah, it's the 1940s. I guess they weren't quite as concerned with that. But yeah. like they had an abusive relationship. Um, she threw his golf clubs on the on the lawn. Yeah, so he had every right to grab her by the face and throw her to the ground. <laughs> um, anyway, um, they they get back together because, however poisonous they may have been, they. They go together because that's the people stay with their own, and I think the movie has uh, understands everything that I just said and is bittersweet and melancholic about it, but is also still a really funny romantic comedy. Mm. Yeah, that's I do love that movie, and that's one of the most interesting like love triangles mm-hmm. in in film, precisely because it's so funny, and yet it does have that element like, well, somebody has to, for lack of a better term, win. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so they're not going to do a design for living sort of thing, but um, which is a good movie, by the way. I highly, highly recommend everybody watch it. Um, okay, so or just read your sixteen hundred word review of it on the website, and then you'll feel like you've watched it. I tease. At okay, it's because the movie's so damn good. Yeah, and by the way, this was early on when I still when like the idea of like writing a DVD and Blu-ray reviews was still kind of new to me, so I felt like I need to needed to go into a fair amount of detail about every special feature oh, and I so that's i can't do that i can't do it i anymore. list them now pretty much yeah i list the notable i don't even list all of the special features there's a lot of them <laughs> i just list the ones that i think are notable yeah you know criterion you're you're a blessing and a curse <laughs> so um okay so i said i would talk about like uh some that are just some rich characters that are just straight up villains uh one that is fairly obvious is lex luther from superman um, who it's sound, he's just a guy and Superman is Superman. How on earth is this a match at all? It's because Lex Luthor has so much money uh-huh. that he can do, he can do anything, anything he wants to fight against Superman. He always winds up losing, but I find that fascinating that the, for this, because he really is the opposite of Tony Stark and, and, uh, Bruce Wayne, who are able to do these great things because they have so much money. It's like, if they were to go insane or suddenly be like, you know what? Screw everybody but me. They would be Lex Luthor. And I find that fascinating. Um, So, uh, let's see. This may sound a little strange. Cruella DeVille, who, uh, you know, she just wants her puppy coat. Mm -hmm. But what's more is she feels like she is owed her puppy coat merely because she wants she wants it. She does not. (laughs) <laughs> the puppies don't belong to her and that doesn't seem to bother her <laughs> she'll still just she'll just take them and uh, and just everything about the way that she carries herself she's got that long cigarette holder she's got now, the big fur coat already have you seen the live action yeah but it's, it's been a long time with glenn I, close yeah i never considered seeing it but glenn close considers it one of her best and favorite performances oh she's clearly having a good time in a in a way that i that i like um and it's it's i remember it being just kind of fine but she's great she's really she's really good but uh but yeah and so um gordon gecko from wall street oh yeah that's 
You just named the last film on my list that All we right. hadn't talked about. Um, and he's... And because Oliver Stone is a stone-cold liberal, yeah. Gordon Gekko does not get away with it. No, he doesn't, which, is, which I find uh, interesting. Because one could say the more cynical view is for him to get away with it, as mm-hmm. opposed to the idealist view, which is for him to not get away with it. And uh, I'm not sure... How, how Would you say that... Oliver Stone, certainly in the 80s and 90s. I don't know what he is anymore. I saw Savages. But, uh, like, would you say he's more of an idealist or a cynic? And I have heard that, like, a cynic is a frustrated idealist. But, like, between those two, which would you say he is? I guess I still think of him more as an idealist. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that would explain. But, yeah, I haven't seen an Oliver Stone film since I don't even know when. Any given Sunday? What did he do after that? He did... I'm sure he did something between that and W, which I saw. Uh, I didn't. And then he did Savages. Oh, he oh, did World, World Trade, Trade Center, Center which I didn't see. Oh six. Yeah, I don't think I've seen anything since any given Sunday. And I feel like there's something in between 99 and 06. I mean, that's seven years. He must have done something. Well, I know he did some documentaries that I didn't see. The Fall. He did The Fall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, by the way. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, and you do, the movie that Julian was trying to think of was The Fall, as we have heard from everyone on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I knew that was going to happen, but you know what? I just did not ex- I didn't expect the volume. Um, but anyway, uh, and so, so yeah, it is, it, the Wall Street is one of those rare things where the character actually gets what's coming to him. Um, okay. So those are villains. I wanted to talk about characters that are actually kind of neutral okay and one of the things that made me want to revisit uh, to visit this topic is um i rewatched for the first time since theaters i believe uh the game the david fincher film with michael douglas and i know you're not a fan of it maybe rewatch it i think yeah. it's it's gotten much better in my in my estimation okay i still feel in my memory it's it's a little smug and and too too like a short of its own point of view too too convinced that it's right you know whereas you get like a movie like arbitrage which yeah uh, which I, I still don't know if i'm saying it right yeah um arbitrage that's how it is <laughs> you know, that uh that definitely you know it has that push and pull you yeah. know where as I, I feel like the game and maybe it's just maybe be, i was less nuanced at the time that i saw it and less receptive to nuanced point of views and i only saw the sort of smug uh, finger wagging of it. Well, and that's the thing. When I was younger, I just viewed, I, I just assumed that Michael Douglas's character was just an asshole because uh-huh. he's rich, and so, and that's why he needs this game to happen to him. And watching it again, he's not really that bad of a guy. He's lonely. He's clearly kind of sad and bored, mm-hmm. um, and he's kind of a jerk and kind of entitled. But he's he's he also has not led the happiest of lives, given like you know his father has killed himself at it when he was like, I think 48 or something like that. And so, and the character just has just turned 48. And so he's kind of feeling this melancholy thing. Like there's a lot to that character that makes him, that makes his being rich neutral. Um, and so, because he hasn't, he hasn't gotten rich by any kind of uh, wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. He just is good at what he does and has made a lot of money doing it. And, and he's a little Scrooge like at times, but, uh, but yeah, he's also a very capable, intelligent person uh, that we are kind of rooting for because we know that we know that uh, whether the game is like real or not throughout the film, we never quite know until the end. Um, we know that like I'm pretty sure he doesn't deserve this, right? And so there's that. So that's one where it's uh, kind of neutral. Uh, Arthur, 
The uh, sorry, with Dudley Moore. I only saw it this year, and by the way, I love it. It's hysterical. You will, you will love it. Um, it it's I'm sure John Gielgud won supporting actor for it. Deserved it. Wonderful. Uh, and it's just this character who is blind, stinking rich, and he is lazy and does nothing. He's just an overgrown child, but you still kind of love him because he's kind of adorable. But um, but you also are, you're aware that his life is just meaningless. It just it's nothing. <laughs> and uh, but as time goes on, he when he runs the risk of losing his money, and he actually is kind of okay with the idea of that you realize, oh, there's more to him. Um, and so, I don't know, like, the money has not corrupted him. It has made him complacent, but you see that there's more going on within him and that the money is not itself evil or good. It's just this thing in his life, admittedly a major thing. Um, and then the last one where where I'd say it's neutral is The Edge, um, did you ever see The Edge? Oh, yeah. We've talked about The Edge before. Yeah. Uh, Lee, oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Lee uh, Tam- Tama- Tamahori? Tamahori, I want to say. Something like that. His name. Um, yeah. And, it, and I think that's an incredibly intelligent script uh, written by David Mamet. Uh, and the fact that Anthony Hopkins plays this character, who maybe might be the richest person on my list here. I'm not sure. Uh, but that he has taken the time. That, like, he's clearly, he's also kind of bored. And he's decided, okay, well... I, I have a lot of money. There's nothing I really have to do. So I'm just going to educate myself about everything in the world. Uh-huh. And, and that, that makes the character exceedingly capable when all of his everything, – everything that defines him in this world is stripped away and you, deci- and you realize that there's, there's much more to him than what everybody else sees. Um, and that he actually is like a man of character and arrogance, admittedly, uh-huh. but intelligence and – and he's very capable, and I, oh, I, I like that character. I find you him know, fascinating. Yeah, that's. I want to tease a possible upcoming episode that I had suggested as topic to you today, like imperfect movies to which we keep returning, either both watching again or just like mentally returning. Mm-hmm. And I think The Edge would definitely be on my list. Oh no question. It definitely has problems, but uh, I would I would watch it again tonight if I had the time. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's immensely rewatchable. Uh, okay, and so I do want to end with uh, tra- uh, tragedy, like characters that are that are tragic precisely because of uh, what their money has done to them. Uh, the first is I'll say John Hammond. No, not the blues guy. Uh, the guy who <laughs> funded on. Jurassic Park. Our listeners did not think you meant. The I know. Blues guy. <laughs> That's why I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that is funny but uh there is a really great uh blues sure. musician named john john hammond but uh john hammond played by richard At- richard attenborough and by the way i think it's kind of brilliant that they picked a guy who is so but who seems so benevolent and is played like kind of a rascal but he is kind of me- megalomaniacal but he also doesn't and he just doesn't know what it is he's doing he thinks he's doing a good thing but also has kind of rushed into it because he knows he wants something and because he's had, he has a lot of money, if he wants something, he gets it and doesn't really have to think through the ramifications mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And he winds up, you know, putting his, his loved ones so in danger. He so much time thinking about whether or not he could. He didn't stop to consider whether or not he should. David, you've blown my mind. Um, David, you're a clever girl. <laughs> so um, I think that might be a good note to end on. Oh, 
Well, you can't give me something like that and I not know. let me wrap it up. I'm sorry. Okay, you know what? We'll wrap it up. Citizen Kane, Sunset Boulevard, Reversal of Fortune. Done. There you go. Yeah, watch Reversal of Fortune. I feel like not a lot of people of our, our age have seen that. I yeah. wouldn't have seen it if you weren't uh, into it. Yeah, I love uh, that film. Yeah. So, check that out. Uh, you can check us out at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find reviews of movies such as Design for Living and uh, billions of others um, by us and our other contributors, including top 10 lists right now we're still in top 10 we're in that post new year's eve pre oscar night top 10 territory top 10 country mm-hmm. uh, every uh, every friday between new year's eve and the uh, the oscars um there will be there has been and will continue to be another um top 10 list from one of our one of our contributors including we had a bonus one in, the, in there on a wednesday because we, yeah. we had an extra number of contributors yeah. this year but uh, i'm glad we had it in that was patrick's list it was good and you know it's fascinating uh because we also tally these up by the end you know so that we have the official battleship pretension list and uh for a while i kind of thought like all right this is not going to be that different than most other lists but uh with every new list that uh, that gets added to it it's just like huh that's this is taking an interesting turn mm-hmm. so um i'm very interested to see how the final list uh, ends but yeah week to week it's always a surprise what will or yeah. will not end up on somebody's list. Uh, right now, I mean, you do this. Do you weight them? Ba- you weight them based on how high they yeah. rank, right? Yeah. Cloud Atlas has got a good showing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm it's, very, I'm very excited. It is for uh, currently tied for fourth. Okay. So, uh, well, let's hope we can push it up a little higher. Sure. Uh, all right. Um, so that's where you can find that. You can email us, uh, uh, David, David at com or Tyler at com. Of course, if you, if you want to send us stuff in the mail, the P.O. boxes, it's right there on the website. No one's stopping you. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at the pretension. Tyler is at More Lessons, the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson. That's at more than one lesson.com where you can hear the harrowing story of the. Uh, uh, hit and not not hit and run. The accident that happened outside. Yeah, of his she stopped. Apartment. Yes, yeah. uh, and it was quite devastated. It was a very touching uh, twenty five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's more than one lesson dot com. Uh, my other podcast is the TV review show. Previously on, there will be another episode someday uh, at previously on show dot com. Maybe you should just review seasons. No, I want to do what I'm. But basically, I, I you know, I got busy during the transition from like Sean to me doing it solo, and then it was the hiatus and there was like really nothing on yeah and now stuff's back and i just need to catch up um so yeah there'll be new episodes soon uh is that it uh a couple of things i am currently not currently right now but uh you can hear me on episode i think 333 of the paul goble show um it's just me paul and jim tom's not there david isn't there uh and we're talking about the best and worst of uh 2012 um, it's a lot of fun and, uh, things as one would expect, get political, um, as they will when Jim, Jim and I, uh, yeah. get, uh, together. I just wonder with Tom not there, like, who, did you have to anchor the show? Uh, no, there was no anchor. <laughs> Cause I feel like Tom doesn't speak very much on the show. And by the way, if you guys aren't listening to the Paul Goble show, you're missing out. Get yeah. over the fact that it sounds like it was <laughs> recorded through a Campbell's can on the other side of the door. Um, <laughs> It's a, it's a, was my, it's pretty much my favorite non-me podcast. Yeah. Um, and we never have more fun than when we're on that show. Yeah. But I do feel like Tom, even though he doesn't speak very much, is, does kind of keep the show from really flying off into the ether. I, I'd say so. And uh, by the way, Paul and Jim, they launch into a little sketch. Oh, I can't wait. That is 
it was it was a wonder to behold uh so there's that and then the the most recent episode of uh, more than one lesson uh is josh and i talking about struck by lightning my least favorite movie of 2012 and i think now i can stop talking about it okay all right uh well no it'll, it'll come up again when we do our best of because we'll have to mention our worst i suppose so yeah. yes but i won't go into a lot of detail about it okay um well, I look forward to that. I look forward to you all listening to that. Thank you for listening to this episode. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 